Hello and welcome to the Health Interpreter Series, an initiative to cover topics to better understand and engage with health policy and enable communities to get better access to health services across rural Australia. Before we start, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. It's a program that is celebrating its two millionth consultation. It is delivered across 214 towns in New South Wales and the ACT. One person every four minutes is getting a consultation under it, and it's something we probably have never heard of. It's called outreach. And joining us today is Sharif Bagnulo from the Rural Doctors Network to tell us all about it. Sharif, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Jeremy. Thank you. So, Sharif, you're with the Rural Doctors Network, uh, and you have done many things in that, but for over 10 years, you were the head of the delivery of a program called Outreach. Yes, that's right. It started at, uh, quite humbly, I think, in New South Wales, and there are definitely people that were involved in delivering it well before me. Um, but yeah, I, I was involved in its design and inception and its rapid growth for more than a decade. So I was very privileged to work with a great team to do that. So it's just reached a big milestone, two millionth consultation in New South Wales. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to explore a little bit more because this whole series is about letting communities who aren't really involved in the day-to-day of the health industry understand a little bit more about the sector. And for rural and remote Australia, outreach is a big program. So thank you very much for joining us. So I guess my first question is, what is outreach? Thank you. Um, outreach has a lot of interpretations, but what we call outreach at, at RDN and this program, which is funded nationally, um, is a program that supports rural communities and Aboriginal communities to access specialised healthcare services that they otherwise probably wouldn't have access to in their rural and remote community or the, their Aboriginal community. The reason a rural community might not access a health service is because it's uh, just simply not there. They'd have to travel a long distance in order to access that service. That could be to the, a big regional centre or even farther to a capital city like Sydney or Canberra or Newcastle maybe or another state even. We have like people in Broken Hill, they travel regularly to Adelaide to access healthcare services. So it's quite a, a big barrier there that costs people time and money, disruption, time away from family and work. And what you inevitably end up happening is a good portion of patients don't travel yeah. and don't get the access to their care. And that has a negative impact on their health. And we, we all know the, the stats around rural and remote communities having lower health outcomes. I mean, there's a lot of factors driving that, but access to high-quality healthcare services is definitely one of them. And the service being provided is is, is quite wide. I mean, we're not talking about just one like GP service here. We're, we're talking about specialists. We're talking about allied health as well. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So when I say specialised healthcare services, it's definitely your non we call non-general practice specialists. So that's your physicians, your surgeons. You've got uh, a wide range of disciplines, your, your eye doctors and ear doctors, that kind of thing. We have, I think, close to 50 different medical disciplines that come from the different colleges that participate in the outreach program in New South Wales. And then with the allied health, so that's your physiotherapist, exercise physiologist, optometrist. Uh, there are, that's a long list. list I, I, won't, yeah. I, won't, I won't mention them all, but there's about 20 or so of allied health disciplines, uh, mental health, psychology is in there as well. And then we have a lot of nurses that we support as well, So the, and midwives. And they typically work in a specialized space. So they might be mental health nurses or they work in cardiovascular disease. They have those kind of specialized skills, uh, women's health. Uh, and then importantly, Aboriginal health practitioners and workers, they're a big part of the workforce as well. So 
many of them are clinically trained and they do a lot of community liaison work. Uh, they provide clinical services, but importantly, they make services culturally safe for Aboriginal people to access. They're a big component of helping the community have trust in those services and to ultimately access those services. Access has a few dimensions. I talked about the distance already. Another limiting factor to access can be cost. So some public health services are not available in rural remote communities. I live in Sydney, so if I need to, I can access a tertiary hospital, uh, so, which is a one of our highest sort of most sophisticated hospitals in, in Sydney. There's several of them. Uh, if I lived in Walgett or Burke, uh, the closest big hospital would be Dabo. And even then, I would have to travel to Sydney for some things. And that's the public route. If I'm willing to pay a fee, I might be able to access more. But a lot of rural and remote communities um, are on lower socioeconomic circumstances, have lower incomes. They can't afford the fee. So most of the services we provide are very much subsidized and are designed to provide sort of economic access for, for those communities as well. Um, and then I would mention the cultural safety. So a lot of Aboriginal communities mightn't be willing to access the service in a space that they feel isn't culturally safe for them. Uh, so we work a lot with the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Services. So there's about 45 of them across New South Wales. We have partnerships with all of them and they, they either fund, hold and deliver those services or they host the services in those facilities and the community has great uptake. I think we've got in excess of about 60% of the consultations that you mentioned yeah. um, are accessed by Aboriginal people, people that identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. And that's uh, really attributed to our partnership with the Aboriginal community controlled health sector. And it's not necessarily, because when, when I first heard of the program, I, I assumed this was the remote parts of Australia that people get flown into. But it's when you have a look at the list of the areas and the places that are being served, like you actually have some in Wagga. You have some, which is a large regional town in New South Wales. You even have some in downtown Sydney. So it's, it's a quite a mixed bag of services being provided under this program. Yeah, very much so. And that's a good point. So access isn't only remoteness, it is all those other dimensions. Yeah. You know, you'll have in Western Sydney, we have populations that have limited access to services because they're not affordable, for example, or they're not culturally safe. Um, the majority of our services are in rural and regional rural and remote areas. And that makes changes depending on the local community's needs and circumstances. Uh, we've had outreach services go to more than 200 communities across New South Wales, and they stretch right from the very remote places to some of your urban settings. It is a very wide geographic spread, and we're often asked about who decides which services go where, and that's really a locally-led decision. So we work with local organizations, which would be, or like I mentioned, the Aboriginal Community Control Health Services. Um, we work with local health districts, which are your, your hospital organizations, yeah, state government, um, we have primary health networks and other NGOs that provide, you know, a lot of the workforce for some of these services. And we, we know that they do a lot of health planning. We do health planning that can identify where there are gaps in services, where people are having to travel long ways or waiting a very long time to access a service, or some of the health data will tell us there's a greater burden of disease in one community. Um, we'll work with them to design the service, and then we'll go around and find the doctors and nurses and allied health practitioners to deliver that care. And that's reviewed continuously. Let me pick you up on the doctors and nurses, uh, the, the people that actually give this care. Uh, how do you find them, and where do they generally come from? Uh, that's a very good question. Don't know if you said fly and fly out earlier. Did you say that? You will get to fly oh, and fly okay, out. Yeah, right, yeah. So, um, <laughs> In a previous podcast, when outreach came up, and the introductory, the very first one, um, it was was brought up in a context of some people see this as a negative thing and the, the context was actually it's not. We should be celebrating it. This is actually a great service because without it, they would eat nothing. 
So a lot of our workforce actually live in rural or regional areas. So we're investing in rural and regional workforce predominantly. So if there is a local need, so going back to that, those local organizations say, hey, we need a this or that, we need a, a psychologist or we need a dermatologist uh, or a team that can do better diabetes care. Our model is to work with those organizations to find anyone locally that's trained and skilled to do that and we'll usually offer the, the service to them in the first instance. And if they're not available in that local town, then we'll move a bit bigger, we'll go, go to the big regional town like Wagga, Wagga, Dubbo, Bathurst, Port Macquarie. And then if they're not available there, then we'll go to some of the bigger cities and then bring them in. There's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, our mission is very much to invest in rural and remote communities and sustain those economies and the workforces in them. So we want to make sure that they, they remain viable. But from a clinical perspective, it's good as well because you can sometimes be limited in what you can provide in an outreach visit facility. So like if you're a surgeon, you can do the pre and post-op consultation, but you can't actually do the procedure. The patient will have to go to the wherever the procedure can be done at some point in their sort of treatment and care plan. But it's much easier if they can just go a few hours down the road instead of having to travel all the way to Sydney. And that patient relationship rapport is, is developed over time. So um, as a result, two-thirds of the workforce live in regional areas or remote towns. Um, and that kind of dispels some of the myth around outreach where it's all coming from from Sydney. From and Sydney flying, flying in, flying uh, in. Which is not... Uh, look, some so we fly, some drive, some uh, some uh, cross the road. Yeah, it really depends on where they are, but we really try to get practitioners from as close as possible to where the outreach uh, service is being and delivered. I think, and I think there's another myth out there that with programs like this, that there isn't a continuity of care, but you've got people who have been delivering services to communities for years, if not you know, 10 years plus. And so they they know the patients, they are very much part of their their health sort of history. That's very important for a rural health workforce discussion at the moment. I'm sure you've heard of people struggling to access uh, good quality healthcare in rural and remote communities. Uh, there's a lot of that rhetoric around. There, there are very dedicated clinicians working in rural and remote communities and they provide fantastic care. But when you do have a town that relies on uh, workforce that's rotating and is not stable, that can impact the quality of care because patients explaining to the new doctor or nurse or everybody what the issue is, what the history is, and that therapeutic relationship between the, the clinician and the patient is really, really important that, that's, that there's trust, then the therapy can flow. So what Outreach has actually achieved through the model and through that, that local management and support that they receive and by recruiting you know, regionally based or rurally based people whenever possible, we see some of the longest uh, longevity in terms of, of recruitment and retention in this model. We survey our health practitioners every year and uh, more than 50% of them say they intend to work in that service for another five years. I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. And almost 80%, 78% say that they'll be there for another three years. So that's very high longevity for our industry and, and for yeah. rural. Um, and that bears out in actuality. The program's been around for two decades, so that's enough time to actually see if what they say, what they intend to do is actually what they do, and that, and that does bear out. I met one of our neurologists yesterday, and I won't uh, identify him, but he's been going to this regional town for 21 years. Wow. And that's longer than a lot of the local workforce would have been there for. So, like again, like the outreach providers can be some of the longest-serving health practitioners in that community, which carries a lot of uh, corporate memory, memory about the health uh, needs of that community, and that transfers 
back and forth between them and the local primary health care teams. Importantly, these services are very embedded with local primary health teams. So when I say primary health teams, that's your GP, your nurses, your optometrists, pharmacists, those people that are there in the community or nearby where you live. These services complement and are designed in consultation with those local providers. And it's not only the local people that are getting that benefit. I was speaking to a doctor here in Sydney just the other day. Uh, she goes out with the Royal Flying Doctor Service as part of a remote visit under the outreach program that we that we also administer. So we're, I think we're partners with Royal yeah, Flying Doctor Service. That's right, yes. And she was just saying that, you know, not only is she had that continuity of care, which she knows the community very well, but she also knows the local GP that she's working with. And it, it, she has found that it helps them, you know, they've got a, another fellow clinician with them that they can actually debrief that she finds it's actually good for their mental health as well to be able to have that but when she goes in for a week I think she generally goes in for a week at a time and she's saying that sort of has helped them stay in that very remote community longer than they probably would have if they weren't having those services. Yeah absolutely so there's a lot of flow on benefits I mean obviously the patient benefits but the, you know the whole health system in the community benefits as well including our, our very precious uh, local health teams. There can be an element of professional isolation for some of the clinicians that work in the more remote towns. And the visiting clinician can be a nice colleague to debrief uh, with, but also to learn from. A big element of the program that's it's deliberately supported, but also can just happen indirectly, is uh, upskilling. So what I say by upskilling is where all health professionals are uh, are committed to learning and and, and developing their skills so they can provide the latest and best care for their, for their patients. And one way that that's achieved through this outreach program is by working alongside a specialist who's very knowledgeable in their field or an allied health practitioner who's very knowledgeable in their field. And then you, by working together on the same cases, you develop your own skills. And that just happens automatically. But then there are some sometimes more structured uh, upskilling sessions where during lunch, They'll chat about a patient and they'll actually do something that's a little bit more academic or, or skills-based. Uh, so it's definitely something that's supporting the retention of the local workforce, but also helping them develop professionally as well. Uh, and the visiting, the visiting clinicians also say that they, they learn. So I mean, yeah. they, if they work in an urban environment or a re big regional town, their ability to care for patients who live in those environments is actually improved as well because they've been to those communities. They know what their environments are. They won't tell them... Uh, go and buy this and do that and go to the local jail, all the things, because they, they know that they might have limited access to some of these things that we take for granted in the city. So they'll be able to tailor their advice to a patient that they know lives in a rural area, wherever they are, because they actually know what those contexts are more clearly because they've, they've worked in them for so many years. Now, this series is designed to help especially local government, local communities. How can they engage in this? Because generally speaking, if you're in rural Australia, there is most likely to be an outreach service close by, not if not in your town. How can they get involved, I guess, or understand more what services are being put within their communities? Uh, look, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, you can always talk to RDN. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also our local partners who, who are very much involved in designing what the services that that community receives. Uh, so that would be your Aboriginal Community Control Health Service, your local health district managers, just talk to your local hospital person or you can speak to uh, the primary health network as well. Um, and then we, we have relationships with, with all of them and can facilitate some kind of needs assessment investigation around what, what your community needs. Sometimes a community will ask for something that's not quite uh, what they need. 
but we want to know what that is so we can come to something. Uh, for, I'll give you an example. There was a very remote community west of central west New South Wales. Uh, that doesn't give you a lot of, <laughs> a lot of options. Somewhere out there. So. <laughs> right. uh, and relatively small population, I think about 1,000 people. Uh, high burden of need, they, but they wanted a cardiologist, an endocrinologist, a renal physician, and an oncologist. I think, like, what are, which is, they probably do, but uh, it's just not viable. To, it would make the community dizzy hosting that many different kind of practitioners. So we have a medical advisor uh, who's very wise and you know, knows all about the health system and different professions. And the, what we came up with was a general physician. So a general physician can do 80% of all of that, but they have a colleague somewhere that they can call on if you have your needs are so specialized that you need something like that. So we will usually massage something that actually works for your community and is, and is more practical and that doesn't like overload. Some communities don't even have a facility that can have that many clinicians in, you know, at once or even sequentially. So I think we work with what's going to work for that community, but it's very much about dialogue with those communities. Um, I think councils and the networks of councils, so the councillors in them, they usually they have a really good reach across their community, have often very good visibility of what's needed and what can be leveraged already in the community. Uh, so I think they they'd be a great source of identifying needs for this program. Oh, fantastic. Now, this is a national program. It's funded by the federal government, but it's delivered differently in each state. So it's not necessarily uniformly the same other than the the outcome, I guess, is the same, is that you're getting services to remote or people with access issues. But RDN, uh, who has administered this for over 20 years in, in New South Wales, does what they call a decentralised model. Just explain what that is. What, why is that different from other models that we see in yeah. our reach? RDN, I think, was one of the earlier participants or deliverers of this program and we've, we've learned a lot over the years but very very early on there was a decision made to not have a massive team based in a central place that would sort of make all the decisions of where services would go we actually funded local organizations to do a lot of that we do have a, a team a centralized team that helps you know with, with those kinds of expertise that i mentioned around budgeting and tools and all that i think some of the other states have followed suit but um what we led with was that decentralized model where we, we basically fund a local AMS or a local hospital district or uh, another NGO to not only design the services, but also, but also to deliver them. And that was unique. And importantly, I think that, that strikes an important power balance for the workforce and the community because the visiting workforce works for the community. They don't work for us. They don't work for the RDN. And then the community, uh, well, it, it's just an important power balance because the way the service is delivered, which can can vary, is very much uh, in the way that the community wants. And if the community is happy or not happy, they can have that conversation directly with the uh, the visiting practitioners. Uh, and that's had a huge impact on patient satisfaction and on the efficiency of services. I can compare that to some other initiatives that have kind of a more centralized uh, administration. And I think this program stands out in that way. In researching for all this, I've been looking at the stats and some of the, the numbers around this. And it is just mind-blowing and actually quite amazing that this program, which I think most people wouldn't know much about, but the impact it's actually having out there. So, for example, in New South Wales, and of course we're talking about New South Wales because it is state-based, federally funded but state-based run. So we're talking about New South Wales. So not only is that milestone of 2 million consultations, which equates to about one patient being seen every four minutes 
in New South Wales. I mean, it's a phenomenal number. It's running in 214 towns across New South Wales and the ACT, I notice as well. So there's some outreach in the ACT, again, showing what you're saying, that it's not just on remoteness. No, yeah, that's right. It is huge if you think about it. So I don't know how long we've been speaking, but there would have been possibly 10 patients that would have received care through this program throughout the course of this interview. So I think, I think it, it is massive and we really do have to attribute all of that effort uh, to a really big group of, of practitioners. I think we've got almost 850, 900 practitioners who are very dedicated and tirelessly provide this. We have local organizations that host them and all the clinical and non-clinical teams around them that support that. And then we have obviously our partners and the funding organizations that, that keep this program going. And the results you're getting are better than some of the results you get in metro cities. So 44% of patients under outreach waited less than a month between referral and seeing a specialist. Yes, that's that's, uh, that's right. That's an excellent stat. <laughs> that's a, yeah, it's I, a, hope that, I hope that continues. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely better than some of my experience. <laughs> well, exactly right. In Sydney. 62% of patients didn't get charged a fee for their consultations. 90% reported that the quality of treatment and care they received was either good or very good. 54% of patients, I was surprised at this one, 54% of patients drive less than 15 minutes to access the healthcare they need. Yeah. That's, but, that's amazing when you think about the communities that you're going to. Yeah, I, it is. And I think if you think of the, the inverse of that, this program is a vital soft health infrastructure for rural and remote communities in New South Wales and Australia and for Aboriginal communities in urban areas as well. And that's where the ACT comes in. That those are clinics that are hosted by the Aboriginal community there. It provides referral pathways for your local GP to actually refer. So if you have diabetes and you need to not only see your GP, but you need to see an endocrinologist, maybe a diabetes educator, get on the Medicare plan and get your five consultations with the diabetes educator and the exercise physiologist. If you have no one to refer to as a GP, it's very demoralizing because you can't provide that high quality care. Uh, and what this program does is it provides a lot of that infrastructure for your local primary health team to provide that. In the absence of this program, we would have a very big hole in access. And it would ultimately cost the health system more because when people aren't healthy, they go on and their diseases become more advanced. They end up in hospital and, that's a, and that costs orders of magnitude more than it does to provide these good quality services to manage health well rather than waiting for people to get really, really sick. And I would just say for any people making decisions around where to, where to fund services, whether you're local government or federal government or state government, these types of services that provide access to community to um, multidisciplinary care, uh, that's excellent bang for your buck. Well, I think that's the best way to end it. Hear, hear, and I hope they listen. Thank you very much, Sharif, for joining us today. Thank you, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is produced by Health Pro Media and funded by the New South Wales Government. You can find out more information or let us know about topics you would like to cover by going to our website at communitysolutionshub.com. In the meantime, please like, follow, and share. Until next time, Thanks for listening. The information provided in this podcast is of a general educational nature only. The views expressed are that of the presenters and not of the New South Wales Government or the New South Wales Rural Doctors Network.